Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Going down to five. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. The father of, the father of, the father of. After the exile to Babylon, the father of, the father of, the father of. Again and again, generation by generation, until there is again a Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 again from the exile to the Christ, to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and Joseph gave him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Family. Family. Family seems to be the reason for the season. At least according to the Hallmark uh, movies that clog up what's trending on Netflix and the commercials that show us big family gatherings of 
surprisingly all very happy people, surrounded by food and decorations and everything that no one is crying about, nothing's burned, and nothing's out of place. And we've been reminded that family is indeed the reason for the season since October when all the songs have been playing nonstop in gas stations and restaurants and malls where we all have been frequenting. Unless, of course, we online shop, then good for you. Many of us travel at this time of year to our families near and far away and we do so almost as if a census has been commanded of us, very much like with Joseph and Mary. Though this time it wasn't Quirinius in Syria that mandated it. It's, it's almost as if a census has been taken by Doug Ford of Ontario while Justin Trudeau was Prime Minister of Canada. And we don't get on donkeys, we hop in Greyhound buses or minivans or airplanes. But we hit the road nonetheless. Or at least, in my case, it's a Toyota RAV4 packed to the ceiling with all the essential stuff for two kids, a dog, <clears throat> and a border crossing for four days. And instead of heading to Bethlehem via a dusty road, we find ourselves returning home to Kingston via the 401, or Barrie, or Edmonton, or Ingersoll, or St. Catharines, or Wingham, or Sao Paulo, Brazil, or right here in Kitchener-Waterloo. We go back to family for the holidays. And most of us can identify with Joseph and Mary as they went home, of not having quite enough guest space in a family's member's house because there are many of us who have the very familiar experience of being crammed with too many people in too small of a house, where at least someone ends up in the basement next to the litter box on an air mattress and storage containers surrounding them that have not been opened since 1983. Some of you here this morning may have spent the night in that way. We feel the draw, the need, belonging to be with family at this time of year. Because again, family seems to be the reason for the season. Now you may be waiting for me as the pastor to wag a finger at you and say, not quite so fast. Jesus is the reason for the season, not family. But the Christmas story brings us right into the heart of what it means to be family. Not just because of a government-mandated homecoming of Joseph returning to his hometown, but because in the Christmas story, we gather around a little family of three. We gather around a mother giving birth. We gather around a somewhat confused husband and adoptive dad trying to figure out his role in all of it. And we gather around a family 
being redefined and altered and reframed by the birth of a child. The most well-known image, symbol of Christmas, after Santa Claus, of course, is the nativity scene. Mary and Joseph leaning over a makeshift crib, holding a baby boy. The nativity is what we put on our Christmas cards. It's what we put up in our homes. It's what we add to our Facebook and Instagram posts as we wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. The symbol of Christmas is a picture of family. We have been walking through the stories of these women in Advent here at Community CRC. They're part of the family tree of Jesus, right from here in Matthew that we read just a few moments ago. And we've given a special focus to these unexpected women in the genealogy because Matthew is saying something by including their stories. They shouldn't be in this genealogy. Women shouldn't be in it. The family line doesn't go through them. They're outsiders. They're not Israelites. They're not people who should belong. And their stories made us all a little uncomfortable most of the time. I know that there have been a few of you who have been a little less than thrilled by the focus of our Advent season this year. You were expecting to hear stories of shepherds and angels and joy and babies, and we still gave you babies. We just also included them in stories of darkness and grief, abuse and deception. The stories of these women, of Bathsheba and Rahab, of Tamar, of Ruth, and of Mary. We have spent time with the grandmothers of Jesus, and we have wrestled with their difficult stories. Now these grandmothers, these four women, will save Mary. They are highlighted by Matthew not because they were sitting at home knitting socks and baking cookies, but because their stories tell us something about the gospel, something about the one that comes at the end of this family line. Rahab, as we learn, was a sex worker in a foreign country. She was an outsider to God's people, and she risked her neck to protect a bunch of Israelite spies and smuggle them out of her city in exchange for her life and the life of her family. Tamar was a widow wronged by her father-in-law who took intentional action to keep her weak and vulnerable and unprotected for very selfish reasons. And Tamar took matters into her own hands. And as we saw in her story, she did this in kind of somewhat questionable actions. But in scripture, she is declared righteous. 
We explored Ruth last week. Another widow, a reoccurring theme of people without family who are brought in to be family. And Ruth was another outsider, another widow, and she stuck with her grieving mother-in-law, mother-in-law, even after the death of her husband. She stuck with her mother-in-law, left her home, her family, any future hope that she might have had, and said, your God, Naomi, is now my God. And where you go, I will go. And where you die, I will die. And God uses that commitment, that covenant relationship, and that love of hers to bring about another line in the line of David that leads to Jesus. And there's Bathsheba, whose story we did not get to together. Because unlike this morning, there was not fog, but snow and ice. And Bathsheba suffered at the hands of a powerful man, a king who should have known better, a king who should have acted better. Another widow. Another widow who acted to protect her son, had the courage to face a king, and in so doing, God used to protect the line of promise to maintain the throne of David, waiting for the one worthy to sit on it. They were flawed and beautiful and tenacious and courageous and broken women whose stories and actions God wove together into the family line of the Messiah. A family line that culminates in the promised child born in a makeshift crib in a backwater town in Judea to a scandalously pregnant young woman and to her troubled but trusting husband, Joseph. And God wove this story together their stories into the stories. Because like every baby born, Jesus was born into a family, into a history, and into a story. His family story includes a nomadic wandering pagan named Abram, a spy rescuing sex worker named Rahab, a hot-headed lustful king named David, and a quiet and compassionate carpenter named Joseph. And there were so many more unknown men and women, generation after generation, who faithfully lived their lives without knowing the end to which their family would come. The joy that ended the line. The hope that their faithfulness and God's use of that would bring. Matthew declares that this is the story of Jesus. This is a story of the Messiah. This is a story of the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of God. Luke may make us feel good and give us shepherds and angelic choirs. He gives us what we expect from today. But Matthew roots us firmly in our shared humanity, 
our shared human story of generations of mess-ups and failures, of broken people and broken relationships. And Matthew declares that this, this is the family of God. The family God was born into. This is the family of the Messiah, the one promised, the one longed for, the one named Jesus who has saved his people from their sins, the one called Emmanuel. The strangest and the most scandalous thing about Jesus' family tree isn't tawdry stories of sex and deception and lies. It is a simple fact that the word became flesh and blood. That God was born into this world just like us. As vulnerable, as needy as any newborn, as human as us. Through the history the story. Matthew begins his gospel with the story of Jesus the Messiah. It doesn't open with a flash. It doesn't open with an earthquake. It doesn't open with a terror-stricken populace looking up as the divine descends upon them. As myths and comic books would prompt us to think about and believe. story of Jesus begins with Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. And on and on, generation after generation after generation after generation after generation. Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians. This is what Paul says. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption. Because you are his children. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And that spirit calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You are God's child. Jesus was born of a woman, born into a family for us, for each of us to redeem us, to restore us, that we might be adopted into the family of God. To be adopted into the family of God, who loves us too much to abandon us and to leave us orphaned. To be adopted into the family of God, who sent his own son to redeem us, to restore us, and to bring us to himself. To be adopted into the family of God, who invites us 
with mercy, grace, love, and intimacy to say to the creator of all things, Abba, Father, I am yours. Jesus was born of a woman, born into a family, to make us part of his family. If we have learned anything from the grandmothers of Jesus, from the stories of Rahab and Tamar and Ruth and Bathsheba, we know, we know that God welcomes into his family those who don't belong, those who don't quite fit, those whose stories have dark parts and sharp edges. Thanks be to God. Because that means that there is room at the family table for each of us with our stories, with our stories of dark parts and sharp edges, our stories where we're not so squeaky clean like we do when we show up on a Christmas Day service, but in the real parts of us, the ones where we know that if it was up to us, we would not be able to belong to him by any stretch of the imagination, by anything that we can do, but only through sheer grace and mercy and an unending love. The symbol of Christmas is a picture of family. We gather around a mother giving birth, like all women in her family before her. We gather around a confused husband, an adoptive dad, still trying to figure it out, like so many expectant dads before him. And we gather around this baby born in a makeshift crib, a child named the Lord saves, Emmanuel, who redefines the family of God for us. On this day of all days, family of God, may we remember and believe that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not disappear, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it and us. To save it through him and because of him. Our Emmanuel our God with us. Amen and alleluia. Alleluia. Please pray with me, family of God. Abba, Father, we gather before you in the name of the one who saves, our Jesus, our Emmanuel. And we come before you this morning, some of us 
are wandering far from the family. Some of us barely remember what it's like to belong. Some of us have never strayed a day in our life. But our familiarity, it leaves us feeling distant too. You have called us to be your family. You have called us to be your children. So wherever we are, whether we are close to you or far from you, may we know today of all days that we belong to you and that you will go to any length, take any action to be our God with us and to not be without us. Thank you for bringing us to your family table. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for this gift. In the name of Jesus, our Emmanuel, we pray. Amen.